the state gave you zero notice? Um, that we had to close down? Yeah. Just all of a sudden, no, bam, I, stop. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Y Milbank Podcast Network from Milbank, South Dakota. This is Craig Weinberg. YMilbank.com is our website where you can find all the shows that originate out of the studio. If you want to help support the show, go to YMilbank.com, click on the podcast button, and find the donate button. The studio and shows that come out of it are sponsored and supported by the value for value model which says that if we create something that you get value out of, you decide what that value looks like in terms of dollars and send it our way. There are no limits, no minimums. Everything is appreciated and welcome. So thank you so much for your support and continued listenership of this podcast. These conversations are always fun to have. And today uh, is a longer one than normal, uh, but it was a blast. Allie DeGraffenried, uh, if you're a listener to the podcast, this show, uh, you will note way back, almost a year ago, um, Andrew DeGraffenried was on the show. Uh, that happens to be Allie's husband. Uh, well, she uh, has a fascinating story in the education world, in... Uh, a stint, a little short stint in, uh, in broadcast for SiriusXM on the Kiss Base Live, uh, which we talk about just a little bit. Uh, but I like her approach and her insight uh, on education and being able to adapt to children's learning styles uh, and what that means going forward. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It was a blast. Uh, let's jump right into it as we get to it. Allie DeGraffenried, thanks for listening. At the school that I went to, we had what are called the Esslers, which are expected student-wide learning results. You say the school and you so, went to, like worked at I'm or sorry, attended? Not the, school, the school I worked at. Oh, sorry, okay. the school I worked mm-hmm. at. Um, so they had these Esslers that were on the wall. And there, so there were five of them. And it was like Abraham Lincoln and Anne Frank. And, and it was just five uh, people from history that represented different things that we wanted the kids to attain. Mm-hmm. And so uh, one of the kids, one of my students later, we, I had heard a rumor of what he did his sophomore year, which is he actually went in and created an Esler for Kanye West and put <laughs> it up in all the classrooms and his, his was self-confidence and well, he made it look go. exactly like the others. Like half the teachers didn't even catch it when he did it. And it was really funny. Was there uh, any representation? percussion for that or was it just creative well it it was creative and there were some uh (laughs) strict talking to's but since he had a teacher that actually helped him print them and put them up because that teacher thought it was hilarious too no it wasn't me i actually wasn't at the school at the time this was this was uh what i thought was an urban legend but then i actually heard that it really did happen the student told me about it um now he's an incredible, he's a firefighter in San Diego and just a great, great, great guy. So it worked out for him. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. You're currently in Dallas, Texas. Yes. Uh, some say, well, the other free state. I mean, I, other other than South Dakota, which is where I'm at. 
um, <laughs> which we tend to be <clears throat> fairly free. Um, you That's just because nobody them. knows you exist. Shh, quiet. <laughs> you shouldn't even talk about that because then they'll know and they'll start coming. Uh, right, right. <laughs> it's so crazy because as I travel about and, and work with uh, different people around the country, when they find out where I'm at, it seems like all of them or a big percentage of them go, oh, I wish I lived there in the last year and a half. So that's all right. It works. Although it's crap weather now. I mean, it's I was going to say it's cold there. <laughs> so you got to realize six months out of the year, uh, you don't want to be outside. Right. And then two months of the other six months, you don't want to be outside either because it's hot and humid. And the mosquitoes right, right. Uh, swarm. Anyway. Yes. <clears throat> so Dallas. Um, Let's start there, and then we'll wander around uh, backward. Okay. You guys just moved there? We moved here technically June, yeah. Was that a uh, decision made uh, politically, economically? Uh, what was that choice? Um, it was really made uh, because of a job. Andrew was asked to take over an mm. office. Mm -hmm. um, he's a PM, and he was asked to take over the Dallas office, so... That was floated. And um, of course, politically with the way that California had handled COVID, um, uh, right. it just made sense. Mm -hmm. um, you are currently mid uh, job. I am. I'm between jobs trying to figure out what I want to do next. I have my uh, Texas teaching credential. I've subbed a little bit, um, but I feel like I'm possibly going to do something else, but I don't know what that is yet. I've got a couple of ideas. So I met you hundred years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I was, was I 12? Probably. Yeah. Cause somewhere in that range. Was. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it was around then. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm older than that now. Uh, <laughs> we both are. <laughs> you <laughs> no. You just shipped your youngest <laughs> kid off to the Air Force this week. This yes, week? yes. Yeah. How are you doing with that, by the way? I'm I'm doing okay. Um, uh, your sister is an incredible support. I panicked because I didn't get all the numbers <laughs> for the address, mm. and I literally had a letter waiting. And I mean, within 30 seconds, she had the information I needed. So, um, yeah, and and we're super proud of her. Um, I miss my friend because we've gotten pretty close. She was my quarantine buddy and, uh, I, we've gotten really close. So I miss that part, but I'm not sad that she's gone because she's got incredible, she's doing exactly what she wants to do. Mm -hmm. So she's going into public affairs. Um, she's wanted to be a journalist since she was in middle school didn't, and didn't she write for a, a, a blog for a while? She wrote, she's written several different blogs. She worked for One American News Network as an intern. Uh, when she went to Biola, she wrote for their paper. Mm -hmm. um, and the thing with One American News Network that was so interesting is we had encouraged her because it was right down the street from where we lived in San Diego. And she went in and the owner actually pulled up her blog and really? read it and hired her on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. That's kind of fascinating. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, you, you teach, you, you've taught a lot of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. why, where did, that, where did that come from? I mean, it, it kind of requires a love of children. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do like kids. Um, I 
So the first classroom I started in, I had no degree. Um, I was, I was a stay at home mom. And that was my whole intention. A Cody's kindergarten class. I was the room mom. Um, it was a tiny Christian school. And during that summer, before he went to first grade, the teacher's husband got, uh, he was in the military and he got moved. And so his wife, family obviously went with him. And so they needed a sub for that kindergarten class that Cody had just come out of. And so I took that as a sub and that job lasted two years. So I taught kindergarten and K4 um, at a little tiny Christian school. And uh, do you want me to go on with the rest of my... Well, was that in uh, on the West Coast or was that on the no, East Coast? That was, that was in Roseburg. Okay. So West yeah. Coast. Yep. Yes. Okay. Uh, it, at that point, you weren't like sounds this sounds bad you weren't like licensed credentialed as, a, no, as an educator at, at that point no 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 I had at that point I had tried two different college classes and realized that I I wasn't smart enough to do college <laughs> um and I really and truly what I lacked was discipline but I didn't know that so um you yeah, actually I, thought I you weren't smart enough for college Oh, a hundred percent. I, so I barely graduated out of high school. Okay. Um, I, cause you're clearly was, an idiot. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I was, I was, well, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, um, I actually became a Christian when I was 15 Okay. and my grandparents put me in a small Christian school related to the church that I was going to. And I had always done terribly in school. You know, I was the girl that was talking constantly and I had, I've met you before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so my, um, I, I had failed a test that was not going to allow me to graduate. And there was a teacher mm. that the teacher that gave the test actually let me come to her house. So, um, went to her house, retook the test and passed barely. So, um, I just never imagined myself continuing with education because that wasn't what mm. I, that's what, not what I felt I was good at. And then I tried two different college classes um, when my son was little and dropped out of both of them because they felt overwhelming to me. So. Okay. Yeah. And then at the, at, at what point in that journey did you guys move to the East Coast? So we moved to Virginia so that Andrew could attend law school, because if I'm not smart, at least I got a smart guy, you know, he can do all the thinking for both of us. Um, and we went to Virginia so he could attend Regent for law school. And, um, I met a lot of the students' wives who all had educations and they were really smart. And I thought, you know, maybe I could kind of give this a try. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, during, I'm trying to think, I think it was during Andrew's last year of law school that I decided to try an online program. And well, what I tell people is when I found out there was a degree in talking communication, <laughs> I mean, um, then I'm like, I could do this and was just so fascinated by the whole idea of communication. I loved every class and I, I graduated with a 3.73, um, with my bachelor's degree mm -hmm. and just loved it and had no intention of continuing. Um, 
I was pretty happy with my communications degree. I had gotten a job. Well, I had worked, I'd been working at a Christian school on the East coast, um, while I was getting my degree and I was a computer teacher. Um, that was another situation that we wanted to put our kids there. They had an opening. I took it, learned everything that I could learn to, to, to do that job. Mm-hmm. And we were there for three years. Um, that was in Maryland. And, um, because it, Andrew's last year of law school was actually, uh, in DC, he interned in DC. So we lived in Maryland and that's when I started my program. And then when I finished that, um, I interned for one summer at Sirius XM. And then the following summer, they hired me to come take the summer, uh, and work there for, to cover a maternity shift. So that was at their kids station, kids place live. And that was to cover the, the Mindy lady. Is that correct? Or who was yes, that? Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. Yep. It was to cover absolutely Mindy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kids place live. <laughs> you were, um, so that was kind of right up your alley. <laughs> yes. <laughs> pun, pun intended. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, that's actually a story too. Um, so my my major when I was in this program, my major was communication. My minor was in government. So I actually went and interviewed with the POTUS station. Oh, because really? of my my yes, and I don't know if I should what. I don't know if I should say this, but, um, I, I did not hit it off well with the person that I interviewed with. Um, it, I, it just wasn't, it wasn't a good fit. Um, and so I left there and talked to the intern coordinator on the way out. And I said, I don't know how that went, but, um, I do listen to Sirius. I listened to three channels on Sirius. I listened to kids place live with my kids. I listened to old time radio and I listened to uh, book radio. And I said, does there happen to be any openings there? And he said, no, he said, we just filled the kids today. And so I got on the Metro. If you've ever been on the Metro in DC, once you get underground, you have no signal got off at DuPont circle where Andrew's office was. I had a message on my phone asking me to come back because the person they had hired didn't know their, didn't know anything about the station. Mm -hmm. So I came back, interviewed with Kenny and Mindy and Robbie and, um, was hired on the spot to intern. So I, during that first internship, I interned with Kenny who, um, was in the mornings. And so I would show up at four o'clock in the morning and, um, he did all the animals. That was a lot of fun. And then I ended up working with Robbie a little bit and Mindy somewhat, but, um, that was Mindy said, if I ever need somebody to cover, I'm calling you. And then it was October or November of that following fall, she called me and said, I'm going to need coverage next summer. So if you'll come cover for me. So I was Allie DL. Was that ever, um, a possibility to continue or was it always going to be very short window of time? Um, if I could have gotten in on that, I would have loved that. Mm -hmm. The issue with DC is that commuting is a pain. So commuting is expensive. So you're either going to pay $10 a day, $5 in $5 out to take the bus from where we lived in Maryland, or you were going to drive and pay for parking, which was usually around $20 a day. Um, you could Metro in, but the problem was that 
oftentimes the metro station would be full. So you'd, you'd have to pay $5 to park. You get in there and there might not be a space. So it was just it, well, the, the idea. What do you mean that might not be a space? Like you couldn't so walk in the, the building? No, 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 no. Like the, the metro uh, parking lot. Oh, for your, the okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Park, okay, for your car. And there wouldn't be a parking space to park. Yeah. So you paid to get in, but you couldn't park. Correct. That seems like a scam. Oh, wait, oh this is it, a, this, it was, wait, this is in D.C., right? Yes. Never yes. mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So you're commuting for a year. What was that experience like working in a, a monster corporation like that? Because that, that was before they merged, correct? Before SiriusXM no, merged? That was, or was that right that was, after? It was right after the okay. merge. Oh my gosh. The building itself was fabulous. Really? So they had, they had Starbucks machines like that, that you could, that were free, you know, you could just go mm-hmm. up and, um, you could get as much Starbucks coffee as you wanted. Well, yeah. You're doing a kid's um, show. You got to freak out. Got to be wired. Right. 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 <laughs> um, and, uh, one of my, one of my funny stories. So I had mentioned that I loved the old time radio show, mm-hmm. which I did get to work with that as well, because they were in the same like group as the kids, mm-hmm. as far as like where they're, um, where they did all of their editing and prep and all that. And so, um, one day I had metroed in and you have to metro to Union Station and then you get on the shuttle that takes you to Sirius XM. And this is like my second, third day working. And I'm sitting there on the shuttle and all of a sudden I hear this voice in the background and I turn around and I'm like, are you Greg Bell? And, and he's like, uh, yes, I sleep with you every night. That's not creepy. And then I realized what I said and he's like, Surprisingly, you're not the first person to tell me that, but you are the youngest. Oh, <laughs> ouch. Or maybe, wow. So, yes, uh, but Greg was awesome and the ladies at Book Radio were fabulous. So, yeah, it was a really fun experience. So, that was a year. No, six months. A summer, that was, four that months. Was three what was months. That? It was three yeah. months, two different times. Yeah. Now, as the, because you were the on air talent, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, did you do any prep as far as back end uh, or did do the, is it produced pretty heavily by other people? Um, so ev- the, the talent does all of the producing. Um, so the first year that I was there, I did a lot of the um, editing, things like that. Like some of their shows that are just recorded prehand. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did, I think it was United Airlines that they did a whole kid station for. So every month that changed. So I was putting that show together. Um, but as far as the on-air talent, um, that was all done live. So that was, um, yeah, exactly. Kids place live. Um, and so that's, that's all done live. So what I did, um, is the other part of what I did during the first, uh, my first stint was that I would take and record, um, get, get kids on the phone and, you know, prep them with their questions, Mm -hmm. talk to them, get them ready to go on air. And then they would go on air. And then we had like a really creepy, guy who would use mickey mouse's voice and we couldn't let him on air because the things he said were not appropriate what was he for what was his job no oh no no no. he was a caller he was a caller oh yeah probably in a windowless van kind of guy right (laughs) exactly (laughs) 
<laughs> so that's pretty much what I was watching for was if Mickey Mouse is calling wow. for not putting him on the air. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, is it something that like you would have a line of, of callers? Yeah. Oh, oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah, because especially in the morning with Kenny, you know, Kenny did all the voices for different animals. Mm -hmm. So, um, and so what would happen is we would have kids call and want to talk to different characters. And so I would get them on the phone. They'd want to ask, you know, one of the characters a question and then let Kenny know, okay, they want to talk to mm -hmm. so-and-so. Oh, so, gotcha. So this yeah. was what, 09, 2010, somewhere in that range? This was actually uh, 07 and 08, yeah. Okay. So at that point, did they, I guess I don't know if they do now, um, did they have any video in these studios or was it all audio? Um, it was all audio. There were, yeah, there was, there was no video. But we did have the coolest studio in the building. In fact, uh, one day I was doing a show and uh, Fantasia, came by and wanted to come in the studio. So I'm like, yeah, come on in. And so, and then um, at one point I was giving that there was a tour that was going through and um, it was little kids. It was like preschoolers. And so they were in um, seeing how the show was produced and uh, oh, what's his name? Um, Cisco came in the thong song. So oh, he came in, wanted to come in. <laughs> And one of the teachers is like, that's Cisco. And this little four-year-old is like, thong, the thong, oh, thong, no. thong. <laughs> I'm like, okay, we need to get out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wrong station. Wow. Uh, after that, where was your, because that, well, oh, okay, let's back up a minute. What was mm -hmm. the most memorable uh, thing? of that time that you had there? <sighs> um, that's a good question. Uh, well, as you think of that, um, yeah. Had you ever been interested in or involved in broadcast at, at any level before that? Well, I loved theater. Um, okay. I used to do a lot of community theater, especially like in Roseburg. Um, I did some when we were in Virginia. So um, that was just kind of a natural progression. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I enjoy talking. And so, and I especially like, I really loved the part with like handling the callers and stuff. Um, that was fun. And then when I was doing my, my own show, Allie the Elf, um, they would, you know, kids would call in and I would just have so much fun talking to them during the song. So that was fun. And, uh, most memorable. I mean, I mean, the Cisco one was pretty memorable, but the, the three that were there at the time, which was, uh, Robbie, Mindy and Kenny, they just like took me in and just loved me so well. That's, that's the best way that I can explain it. And, and like, would just give me things that no other intern in the building was doing. Other interns would see what I got to do. And I was just given so many opportunities and I were, just really appreciated that. Not to sound, you know, ageist. Were you the oldest intern they typically had? I was, yes. So yes. You I was actually, 34 at the time. Okay. So you had a little bit more, you, you were probably a lot more stable than some of the right. other interns, I presume. Right, right. Most of the interns thought I worked there um, shortly after we were on 
you know, shortly after all the interns came on, uh-huh. they'd ask me where the bathroom was. And of course I knew, and then they'd come find me for other things. Cause I was really nice. It's like, uh, I, I'm an intern too. I can't help you. <laughs> I can't give you a job. You should have made yourself a new badge. Yeah, exactly. Uh, did you get to, uh, interact at all with any, uh, big, big names in air quotes? You know, um, I mean, as far as like in kids music, most definitely. Um, but most people aren't too familiar with, um, you know, Brady Reimer and Randy Kaplan and, um, they're in, in kids music. These were the songs that were requested constantly. And I, so did they come in and and perform live? Yeah. 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 We had, we had like pajama parties there in, uh, not, not in the kids studio, but we actually had like a concert room where artists would come. And so, yeah, you, we'd have a pajama party or just different concerts with kids. And so did you have to apply to get on the, to, to come on the, the, the show, like to be a guest, to be, to be the crowd. How did that work? Like kids to show up. Uh, no, basically you would email and then you'd give your information mm-hmm. and, you know, as long as you were local and could come, then you'd get on a guest list and then you'd have to check in at the, at the, uh, at the front desk. And as okay. long as your name was on the list, you got to come up. And you could just hang out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the, I mean, for the concerts. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, I think that'd be awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. After you were done with that, how long until you guys exited the East Coast? So after that, um, I had an opportunity to take a, I was working as a government contractor. So um, later when I was teaching high school, you know, when you do the, the, two truths and a lie. I always told the kids I have top secret security <laughs> clearance and they'd be like, no, but I did. Um, I worked for a government contractor that uh, basically built giant PlayStation games. So they built the flight simulators for test pilots. Um, so these are full-size cockpits uh-huh. that they built that you would go inside and, and that's where the test pilots would learn. So our company, um, that's one of the things that they did. And then they also built transponders and other plane so things. So I- did, did that have anything to do with like drone piloting? Has that morphed into some of that now, or is that totally separate? Uh, that's totally separate. Okay. This is um, the, this is basically live pilots getting into gotcha. these cockpits, and yep. and there to would fly be without like dying. six. Co- yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Um, and there would be um, these. There were like six different cockpits at a time, and so the 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 machine would basically go into the simulation. Um, so it's just like a ride at like Disneyland yeah. and, you know, you would take off, you would feel it take off. You would feel what happened when you push this button. I tried it, landed in the Chesapeake Bay. <laughs> I was like going to say, times. did you get to play it all? Once, one time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean, it, it is a full working, like everything is exactly the same as you'd see. in Everything is. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how did you, yep. how'd you land that gig? Uh, you know, a friend of mine worked for the company. She was in their logistics and they were looking for an administrative assistant mm-hmm. and for an office. And so I ended up becoming the office manager for on the top three floors. It was 26 engineers, uh, uh, aeronautic oh, real engineers. fun people. <laughs> well, you know, it's so funny because I, I was so not what they were used to. I bet. And then in the basement, you had the mechanical engineers who were basically like 
the country boys. Mm -hmm. And so they would, um, so, so the, the top three floors were just very, very intelligent, hardworking people, people who never left the office, their socks didn't match, but, um, they would, they would kind of walk by my desk and I'd talk to them. And then before long, I had like this little like fan club <laughs> of engineers that would just come talk. And I think they just came for the show so, because, so, you know, so this was after your stint at X series XM. Yes. In yes. The yes. Children's uh-huh. channel. <laughs> So, yes. Yes. Did they know at and all what would, they did when they hired you? No, no, they had no idea, but I, I loved it. Um, one of the things that they did is they would have, um, uh, this snack cabinet where people could, I, I would fill the snack cabinet. They'd buy them for 50 cents. And then once a month, they'd have a lunch that that snack cabinet paid for. And so, oh, so you were like the drug, like, the drug pusher. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Eat, eat the Snickers, eat nice. the Snickers. And so, um, but, but like what would happen is the top three floors, you know, they'd wander down, they'd grab their sandwich or pizza or whatever. And then the bottom floor, you know, all these really fun guys, you know, they, they'd go get there separately. So nobody, it didn't really accomplish what I think they were hoping to accomplish. So I would, so, so I turned it into a barbecue where the guys, down, they were happy to bring their barbecue. They would grill burgers and then we would have contests. So at one point I made a paper airplane contest, which is so much fun when you have these, I mean, I got so many questions from the aeronautic engineers. They're building a paper airplane. Can they use a paper clip? Can they use, how far does it actually have to go? Is there, is there a rule on distance? The mechanical engineers just won by so much. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. But, yeah. I, I, a friend of mine's an engineer locally, and he said, you know who the outgoing engineers are? It's the ones that stare at your feet when they talk to you instead of theirs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Mechanical engineers are our party. They At least at, well, least that, at that, that, makes that gig. Sense, yes. They were, they were, they were the ones that were actually building the things that the people upstairs were inventing, and they were just a blast. And <sighs> That's hilarious. Did they know how, did they work together ever? Um, I mean, they, they all knew each other, but no, it was downstairs. It was just, it was just building, building, building. And mm-hmm. then, you know, upstairs it was white papers and, you know, everything was very, very, um, boring. Uh, yeah. Yes. Very much. So how long did that last? And then in, uh, I was there for a year and then we decided to move back to California to mm. the central coast. Okay. That was in the mid tens, yes. That was in eleven. Eleven, okay. <clears throat> yeah. And then you've been there until just now. Uh, no, we were we were in Santa Maria until twenty fifteen, and then moved to San Diego. Okay, but you were in the the most California of the western side of the yes, country. yes, yes. Okay, yes, in one state, perfect. Um, yes. So. <clears throat> You've lived in California up until recently. Yes. What was that like over the last year and a half? So, um, so when we moved back to California, Mm -hmm. I was looking for, um, I was looking for a, uh, a job in, you know, with the government and like at, uh, Vandenberg or something, and it just didn't pan out. And so I started subbing, um, And then I had, I was working for two different schools. I was at my kid's high school. I was PTA president. Were you going to ask something? 
Well, no, just what ages oh. of, of class? Sorry, what grade? Oh, so so I was subbing at their high school, um, and I was PTA president, and then I was also subbing at oh, an elementary school. I bet everyone will love you as the PTA mom. <laughs> everybody but my own kids right <laughs> so um so actually I started out in high hospitality that I was and so I had two principals kind of fighting over me telling me to go get my teaching credential mm-hmm. I had the high school principal and I had the elementary school principal and I got hired at the elementary school in an hourly position and um so I decided to go ahead and pursue my credential and there's there's a whole story about why I chose high school over elementary, but I won't, I won't go down that way. <laughs> um, is it a secret? No, no, no. Oh, it's okay. just, uh, I, I mean, I mean, what it came down to is there was a kindergartner who was coming to my class, to my little um, computer class, and she was always really happy. And then one Wednesday she was crying. And then the next Wednesday she was crying again. So I went and talked to her teacher. Well, her, their parents had changed the, um, their, uh, uh custody time. And so I kind of made the decision there that, um, you know, with high school kids only have to deal with their parents for up to four years. You know, if they're in these crappy living situations where, they're not really being put mm-hmm. first. Um, you can talk to a high schooler and you can kind of walk them through that. If you're talking about a kindergartner whose parents don't realize that, you know, because somebody gets them on Tuesday night and they go to school on Wednesday morning, yeah. you can't change that as a teacher. Mm-hmm. And for me, that just felt too heartbreaking. So that's why I made the decision to go to high school. Hmm. And I got a credential and a master's all in the same two-year program and yeah, no so slow, which is fine i'm a dummy i'm not smart <laughs> enough for college <laughs> well and and in between that time i guess i left that part out for quite a few years i was also doing massage therapy oh but, i knew um, that that's right yeah 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 so that was that was before my bachelor's mm-hmm. and that's what i was doing before i um bef- when we were in virginia while andrew was in law mm-hmm. school before we moved to maryland so someone had to pay the bills yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you're in California so, yeah, so, teaching. Yes. Yeah, so I, um, when we moved, so when we were in Santa Maria, um, I was getting my credential. I was working at an elementary school hourly doing the PTA at the high school. Um, and then when we moved to California. I actually got a job at this charter school, which is hands down the best school I've ever worked for. Why? And why I, um, so It is. So, so it's four campuses, K through 12. I worked at the high school. The high school was about 500 students. Um, it is a very character driven school. Um, the, the philosophy is all students are known. And so we rarely had a fight on campus. We rarely had, um, drama because the teachers knew the kids, we were expected to know the kids. And so, um, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of connection, human connection between the kids, and this was all um, our our founder Debbie Byer. She just she had an incredible um, her her story. She used to work for one of the largest Christian schools in San Diego County, and she used to drive through this neighborhood. And in that neighborhood, um, 
all of a sudden these refugees started showing up and they were from Iraq. They're called Chaldeans and these are Catholic Iraqis. So these are people who were forced to move here because of religious persecution. Mm -hmm. Um, These students were actually watching their parents and siblings shot in the street. And so, and she just had a heart for these kids. And so she, um, she decided that because, you know, when you, when your kids that are not English speakers speak Spanish, there are a lot of resources for them, but these kids are coming in speaking Chaldean and Arabic and at the time, right, right, right. And so, and she didn't speak Chaldean or Arabic, (laughs) but she went to the local church, the local Chaldean church. And she said, I want to start a school here. Mm. I want to start a kindergarten through third grade school. And what I want it to be is I want to teach the kids. I want to teach them English and I want to teach their parents English. And so that's what she, she started pulling resources and the church was super happy because it kind of gave the family someplace to go. And then over a period of time, then it ended up growing and growing. And so El Cajon is, um, aside from, uh, is it Michigan? I believe uh, El Cajon is the largest collection of Chaldean families, and so there's just there. there uh, that's what a lot of the city of El Cajon is. What, what kind of number so, are you talking? I I I wouldn't know the number. Okay. Um, and and so our school was actually just our school was actually in Spring Valley, the high school, because we we hadn't been able to get into the El Cajon footprint at that point. So all the, all the other three campuses were in El Cajon, but the high school was actually in Spring Valley. And so we didn't have as many Chaldeans on our campus as we had um, at the other three campuses, but we still had quite a large number. And that's what my job was, was Mm -hmm. teaching EL students. So I had a lot of students that were, uh, that spoke Arabic, Chaldean, and then we had a lot of uh, Hispanic students as well. Mm So I say all that, um, we did not miss a single day when we had to go out for COVID. So COVID shut us down on, was it March 14th was our last day. We found out at one o'clock on Friday Mm -hmm. that we had to close. And on Monday, the 17th, all the teachers were online and told you need to come up with a plan starting tomorrow. And so March 18th, we had our kids online. You could come to the school, get a computer, but the expectation was that all students were online and learning within one day. So, so um, well, well, and, hold on before you go farther. Yeah. The state gave you zero notice. Um, that we had to close down. Yeah. Just all of a sudden, no, bam, I, stop. Yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we, as teachers didn't know until one o'clock that at three 30, uh, all of our students were not going to be allowed to come back on campus. So, um, we, we and had then, two hours, oh, by the way, figure out how to make it work. Well, so pretty much all of the public schools shut down for two weeks. Oh, they so, actually stopped. They didn't even have class because no, not that would at all. be too difficult for them to adapt. Yeah. Sorry, never mind. Carry on. <laughs> so, right. Um, so but yes. we had, um, and and we had we we had options. So I mean, basically, what Debbie did is Debbie told us, you know, your students, you figure mm-hmm. out what's best. If you want them online for a certain period of time, 
you can hold live classes. If you want to put videos up and tell them that their work is due by a certain time, you can do that. You know your students. You do what you need to to get your students engaged and learning. And so as teachers, we just kind of continually had to figure out, okay, who's going to have their live classes, which time, who's not doing live classes. What, and- why did you need to work that out? Just so you guys had an idea or were there resources that you had that were limited? Well, um, just the time. Hmm. So like if my class was going to be at nine o'clock every Monday through Friday, then if anybody else's was conflicting, because we weren't expected to be online from 745 to 330 every day, that was not the expectation. So we weren't running our own classes every single day where kids would check in and check out. We could have, but that, that wasn't that wasn't really a point because, you know, so much of what you're doing in class is class management. I mean, uh, d- you know, let, kids, let's call it what it is. Half of it's daycare. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, classroom management Absolutely, is yeah. the, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so when you're not having to do that um, and it really put the onus on the kids for getting their work done, mm-hmm. but then, you know, for the kids, for the, for the, the ones that didn't, then it was, you know, calls to mom, calls to the kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if you had their phone number for some reason, there, there were kids that, you know, because of COVID, um, you know, I would send out like text reminders and stuff. And so, you know, I'm, Hey, Joshua, you know, where's this assignment? Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah, we, we worked it out, but was, was, that, was that as the teacher, was that a freeing exercise? 100%. Or 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 was it like oh crap I don't know what to do now for you I no. can only imagine it was a blast. <laughs> you know I, I think we were so used to that. So one of the things about that school is that Debbie really treated her staff with a lot of respect, mm. and so she understood she hired us because we were great teachers. I mean I, I she. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that I was hired because I was a great teacher because I didn't have a lot of experience (laughs) as far as that. But I mean, she hired us because she felt like we'd be great teachers. Mm -hmm. And then she gave us the power to make these decisions. And so as a teacher, uh, especially uh, when I was hired, I was hired to do something that they really didn't have a specific curriculum for. So it was like, figure this out, Mm -hmm. talk to all the other teachers, figure out how you want to do this, and then just be able to show that there's growth. And so I didn't So what was the focus of your teaching? What what were you focused on? So uh, my first two years, it was, well, my, my very first year, it was just EL students. So I had, um, I taught EL, uh, reading, writing, which EL is English language, um, reading, writing, Uh, And then I taught a history and a science class that were also, um, it was high school content, but from basically like a third grade level reading Mm. book, Um, because, you know, you can't, you can't give these giant words to kids that barely speak English. And so that was the first year, which I realized that my credential was in English. And so science is so far from my, so the next year I went- Yeah, but if you can read- I mean, right. just drag <laughs> yeah, some yeah. textbooks out, right? <laughs> right. But I mean, I wasn't a science teacher, so mm, I didn't have like a gotcha. lab and stuff. So I went, it, you know, in true fashion, the way the school worked, I went to Debbie and I said, okay. I need a science lab? 
No, no, I didn't want a science lab. (laughs) I'm not smart. I already told you this, Craig. So I said, how about I take these kids in a, in a science teacher's classroom? How about if you give Mm -hmm. me a table in Mm -hmm. the classroom where then I am creating worksheets for them. I'm creating vocabulary lists that they Mm -hmm. get early. I am creating, um, and, and the, the term is push in. So I was a push in where I brought the kids into that class. And then basically I graded them on my, I graded them on their growth in that classroom, but it was on a different scale than say the kids who were, um, you know, who were, who were going through, but the idea was that they were exposed to experiments and the, the whole thing. So they were really immersed in science and history. I was comfortable holding on to for another year. And then when science was so successful, we pushed into um, history class. And then I just fell in love with history while pushing in. So then I went and got my history credential too. (laughs) So the last year that I was teaching at the high school, I was actually teaching geography, which was part of the history department. And was that in Um, 2020 or was that 21? That was, that was 2020. So the last year that I was there, they moved me, um, to a different campus. Our, so our homeschool program had gone from 40 kids. We had a, we had a homeschool program and it grew to over 300. So they moved me over there as a teacher consultant. Mm. So basically I had a roster of 40 kids who I was, I was their consulting teacher. So the the parents were homeschooling, Mm -hmm. but most of these parents had never homeschooled before. So I met with them once a month. We talked about curriculum. We talked about, you know, how are you, how are you measuring their learning? What's working? What's not, um, suggested different curriculums, uh, different, I found different, uh, resources for them. Um, and yeah, so that's what my last year was. So this feels like an alternative type of learning style. And part of it was, was forced because the goal was, uh, figuring out how to assimilate. Right. Um, do you see being immersed in that for a while? Do you see some downfalls of our current education system in the public in the public sphere, how it's laid out? Um, you know how I said, I don't know if I want to continue in this. <laughs> now, I will say my my beef. Um, the beef that I have, like where, where, mm-hmm. where I would want to fight is, is I, I am not a fan of unions. I feel like unions across the board in the, in, in the school district. Okay. I feel like, I feel like the, um, the teachers unions are the worst part about, well, an administration in, in a public school, mm-hmm. because when you look at the fact that most of the money that is made in school is made by administrators, people who never walk into a classroom, Mm -hmm. people who have no idea what's going on, people who create requirements for teachers that are so unreasonable when it's just a matter of trusting them to learn the students. It's, it's because when you are teaching from that perspective, when you're teaching and you genuinely love these students. And, and I would tell my students, I loved them mm-hmm. and I had the freedom to do that. Um, 
But you don't I, in a public wanna, school setting, do you? Not really. I mean, I never felt that freedom when yeah. I worked in, in the public school. And um, I, when I was in the public school setting, as I was working in elementary school, I was not credentialed. Um, I was working on my program. And so I was an hourly employee. And the way that the teachers behaved because of, you know, things that the union told them and did, it just created so much animosity with, you know, with the principal of the school that I was at. Um, it just was not a healthy learning environment and it did not feel like the kids were put first. And so, you know, that's when I kind of questioned, am I even in the right, mm -hmm. am I even in the right job? Yeah. And then I ended up in San Diego at the school that I was at and I loved my job. I loved going to work every day and it was hard. And there were many times I felt like, Oh, I'm terrible at this. And, and then, you know, we would just see great successes because everybody was in it together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have these colleagues that were all, I mean, none of our jobs are guaranteed. We're not, nobody gets tenure at the school that I was at. There was no union. And so we had to hustle for our jobs every year. And it was, it was great because we all worked our butts off. Mm -hmm. But at some point, don't you need a consistent standard or is that the problem in public school is that we've created a uniform standard of success across the board. Is that the problem? Um, well, I think that is a problem. I think, you know, when you're talking about, um, when you're talking about larger schools or schools in different, uh, in different physical areas, you know, I mean, when you're talking about kids that have to go, you know, work in a field mm -hmm. after school, uh, you know, that don't have time for six hours of homework in order to, you know, reach these, these standards. Um, uh, that's where I think each, if the schools could operate on a smaller level and you could teach to the group that's there. I mean, we had plenty of Chaldean kids who came into our school speaking no English that ended up doing extremely well on AP tests because they got the resources that they needed instead mm -hmm. of, you know, what some person sitting in an office said, you know, they've got to go through this and this and this. And with our program, we called it the Academy program. You were, you were in that program, learning to read, learning to do what you needed to do. And then you got out and you got put into regular classes at the rate in which you were ready. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were different ways to show that. So, um, I, I think there are so many things with education that are, <laughs> are difficult to solve because every mm -hmm. area is different. Uh, <clears throat> Sir Ken Robinson, who has recently passed away in the last few years, um, is uh, a PhD in, uh, oh brother, um, education, professor of arts education at the University of Warwick, um, professor emeritus after leaving the university. <clears throat> anyway, uh, he died August 2020. He had a belief, this according to the Wikipedia, and if you ever have the opportunity uh, he gave at least two TED Talks um, on his view of education. Mm -hmm. Fascinating, fascinating talks. I mean, I encourage everyone to go listen to them. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, for no other reason than he's a phenomenal orator. So that works well. Uh, but okay. he, 
He suggests that to engage and succeed, education has to develop on three fronts. Um, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Firstly, uh, is from the Wikipedia, that it should foster diversity by offering a broad curriculum and encourage individualization of the learning process. Secondly, it should promote curiosity through creative teaching, which depends on high-quality teacher training and development. And finally, it should focus on awakening creativity through alternative uh, didactic processes that put less emphasis on standardized testing, thereby giving the responsibility for defining the course of education to individual schools and teachers. He believed that much of the present education system in the U.S., encourages conformity, compliance, and standardization rather than creative approaches to learning. Uh, Robinson emphasized that we can only succeed if we recognize that education is an organic system, not a mechanical one. So, is Western I, education broken yes. in the public school setting? Yes. What's the fix? Do we need to burn the place down and start over, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, that is? Well, I, I'll say this. I, I, think, um, I think charter schools are a huge answer to that because so, – so in San Diego, there are quite a few charter schools. Okay, so and, it, it, explain that for the, 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 okay. the lay person that may not know exactly what that is defined as. Okay, so a charter school, you know, charter is contract. Um, and, and so what we are contracting with our families is that we are going to do something. Mm -hmm. And so, um, a lot of people might've heard of high tech high in San Diego. So that's Bill Gates. Um, that is several schools in San Diego that Bill Gates, uh, funds. Um, and it is, they are focused on technology. Hmm. So like their history and uh, English classes, they're mixed together. They're called humanities, okay. but they have robotics class. They have, and so it's very specialized. Our school was called Literacy First. It, it, and is so, there a, a barrier to entry for a charter school? Like do you have to, to um, pass some sort of an aptitude test to get in? No, no. Um, so it, it legally has to be open to anyone. Okay. Um, in, so I, I don't, I, I don't claim, I, I have family that attend high tech high, um, in high tech elementary. Um, but I do know that your chances are higher of getting in if you are in a lower economic group. So they are, mm. they're really trying to serve, um, ours is, so I was at literacy first. So literacy was everything for us. Reading and writing is where our focus was. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was basically a, a waiting list. There was no preference given except for, um, so, so you applied, we had a lottery. Um, the only preference was if you had a sibling there or if, a, or if a parent worked there. So other than that, it was a lottery, but once you were in, you were in mm -hmm. until you left. So, uh, that was, uh, that that's how you got into ours. So the, the system being specialized makes mm -hmm. it a better case scenario is that because it's not one size fits all is that why it I, works I, better i think so i think so i think as you know when we put the power of education into the hands of the parents and allowing where's my buzzer <laughs> that's the wrong answer 
Listen, <laughs> l- listen to the news. That's wrong. Apparently. Yeah, right, right. Um, and parents can decide, you know, it, especially when when a child knows, I mean, when a parent knows their child and mm-hmm. they know they have a certain bent, you know, um, I have a nephew that was mechanical from bef- way before he could talk. I mean, he could, he could, you know, use a screwdriver's you know, turn things, do things like that. And, um, so to look at a kid like that and go, wow, you know, they could probably do really well in technology or, or building, Mm -hmm. or, you know, you have a kid that's interested in fine arts and you have a fine arts charter you have, um, if you put the power that then you have a kid who's passionate about what they're learning and, um, and, and our school, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't as much, you know, kids, Oh, I want to read. I want to read, but we had everything in our school was focused on somehow, you know, reading and writing. And so we had a lot of our high school kids that would go to college and test out of, you know, English Mm -hmm. in college, because that was what was so important to us. Well, and really, if you know how to read well and do some maths, what more do you need? Now, I mean, you say that to the wrong person, they freak out. But in reality, that gives you the tool to do everything Mm -hmm. else. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even, uh, uh, oh, what is his name? Pitbull. Pitbull actually has a charter school in Las Vegas that is called Slam Academy. Here I'm advertising (laughs) for a school. No, no, it's actually (laughs) sports. So it's, it's actually sports. That's their focus. Yes. And, um, I know about it because I had actually applied there when we were first going to move to Vegas. Um, and I was, offered a job like three different times but then I ended up not leaving. <laughs> and, and so, um, yeah, so they had, um, athletes that people, they had, you know, all of their courses were based like, like the math classes were based around statistics and things like wow. that. And that's what they used. Yeah. So, huh. So knowing that, or your understanding or your belief, let's say, mm-hmm. um, that education needs to be adaptable and mm-hmm. potentially tailored to the student's learning ability or style at some right. level. I mean, clearly you can't have one-on-one with everyone. I understand that. Right. Um, but you can try. Mm-hmm. What did, you know, thinking of the bigger picture of the last year and a half, what did the, what got exposed, I should say, in our education system by the way the jurisdictions handled their schools, uh, whether they were closed or open. I know in our our local town, they did for about three months, I think, go kind of distance. Mm-hmm. Now, our, our town never really had, it really hasn't been impacted much at all over the last year mm-hmm. and a half. And so it's kind of bizarre because I, I leave this town and then I'm like, I am in another world. Where yeah. did I go? Yeah. And I was just out in Oregon uh, a couple months ago for an event. And it's weird. It's, I mean, it's September 21. And where are we? I mean, is this still the same place? I mean, I drove there from here. So we get out of the car there and all of a sudden it's, it's like a different world. And so I know I'm, I don't have the same view as those that were in it like yourself being in Southern California 
during all mm-hmm. of this? What got exposed about our education system, or did anything, or did, are, are we just blind, la, 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 nothing happened, we go back <laughs> to the way we were? Um, I think, well, because I wasn't in the public school system, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know that I can fully speak to that. Um, I think we have a lot of kids that are in the public school system that are getting a lot of help from other sources that even in high school don't really have the ability to carry themselves at all. And so, you know, I think a lot of our, um, that was, you know, that's kind of the, some of the stories that I've heard from other teachers mm-hmm. is like, they realized how much these kids were being supported at school that they're not getting any support at home, which is really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, and without a constant person there checking on them and, and, and doing things. I mean, these are the kids that have fallen so far behind and, um, and, and, you know, when you're talking about these huge class sizes and, you know, the expectations of teachers not being able to see, you know, I mean, right. kids not having to turn on their cameras in class, uh, what teenager that doesn't have to turn on their camera is going to be engaged? Yeah. I mean, and, and there were just so many rules that were, you know, kids don't have to turn on their cameras. They don't have to participate. You know, they just have to show up and check in. Well, you can't do that when, you know, these kids have had to be carried by AIDS and things like that, you know, people who were helping them. Um, so I, but I don't know that that's necessarily just ex, that's exposed. I think teachers in public schools are extremely overworked. I think there's so many expectations of them. I don't think administration understands, uh, what they're asking their teachers to do. And, you know, I, I think, I think there's a lot of burnout with teachers and even in the best of schools, I think there's a lot of burnout, but um, I don't know if I answered your question. Is it, is it a fair conversation to have to actually ask and try to find what the purpose of K-12 education is today in 2021? Is that a safe or is that a conversation that needs to be had? Uh, I think absolutely. I, um, I mean, I don't have school age kids myself, but I have a grandson who's a kindergartner mm-hmm. and like, um, yeah, I mean, what, what should his education look like? What should, what should be expected of him? And I, I agree with, uh, did you say his name was Ken Robinson? Mm-hmm. Is that, mm-hmm. yeah, sir, I, sir, everything- sir, Ken Robinson, sir, Ken Robinson. Yes. <laughs> At one point um, he was knighted. I, I, <laughs> I see. Yeah, no, I'm not familiar with him, but oh, I I highly agree with mm-hmm. all three of those things that you said. And um yeah, I I think it would be definitely worthwhile to and I don't think we can burn it to the ground, but I do think that ideas like charters um you know, vouchers was a big conversation what 15 years ago and it's not really a conversation anymore. Well, politicians um, don't like it because they don't they, they want full control of the cash. Right. Right. And so when you allow and, someone uh, a parent to have some say in where that money goes, that's never a fun right. conversation that a politician wants or a bureaucrat wants to have. Right. Right. And you know, to say that uh, I mean if if, if there were enough charter schools, mm-hmm. then we wouldn't have a lot of the 
public school problems that we have. And, and, you know, I know in San Diego, I probably could have made, I probably could have made about $10,000 more a year working at a public school than for a charter school. And, you know, eventually had tenure and all of that, but that was not worth it to me, the Mm -hmm. trade-off to having the freedom that I had in the classroom at the charter school. So, um, I, I think, from a, and I know that there are a lot of schools, I mean, a lot of states that aren't allowing them. I didn't realize how many schools don't, or, you know, how many places aren't even really allowing homeschools. And that's just crazy to me. Well, it, it, it kind of makes you wonder what the real purpose of school is. Now, yeah, th- there yeah. is a thought. And if, if Robinson is right, it's about compliance. It's about right. uh, conformity. And, you know, he kind of, in, in one of his talks, he kind of went back to when the, the model, the current model of Western education began. And it really seems like it was to create um, factory workers. Factory workers, yes. People that are willing to, mm-hmm. you, nine to five. Now, I then <clears throat> go down the road of, well, what are, what is pro, uh, what is professional athletics for then? Well, it's entertainment. So these factory mm-hmm. workers that go to work and have a miserable life, have something to do in their off time. And then mm-hmm. we'll give them a little bit of beer to drink too, and that'll help them feel better about themselves. And so then we perpetuate the problem. And then Friday, right. I interviewed um, Jackson Robinson, unrelated as far as I know. Uh, he's the creator behind the King's Wild Project. It's, his interview was several episodes back on this show. Um, brilliant. Uh, fantastic dude. I had a blast talking to him. Um, he said he wants... Uh, he encourages his daughters to run as far as fast as they can away from people who hate Mondays and love Fridays because they're living an existence that's miserable. Right. And right. <clears throat> our system seems to be perpetuating this thing. And now it's even getting worse that we're going to, we have to now, uh, unless you go to four year college, you're no longer successful. Right. And I, it just seems like we are beating a dead horse. It seems like right. this thing, and, and, you know, we can't burn it to the ground. But if we don't do something drastic, what's going to happen? Where are we going to go? That's the question. That's, Come that's, on, Allie. <laughs> that's what I'm supposed to, that's what I'm supposed to have the answer. <laughs> there you tonight. go. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Um, no, I, um, I think there are, I think there are so many opportunities for, kids that are not for your college. I think there are so many, and, and and that's where I think, again, I go back to, you know, this horse that I'm the, the, (laughs) that I keep going back to with charter schools Mm -hmm. is, you know, we had a, a, a program for our kids that started literally their freshman year of what are you interested in doing? And then us, basically taking the time to try to find them resources. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you want to be a pumpkin farmer. Well, you know, we're going to put you in touch with a pumpkin farmer. You want to go into the military. You know, this is the, the, here are some resources. So pairing kids with the resources that of the things they're interested in, because again, going back to your four-year college, who makes money on four-year colleges? The government. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is so the predatory practices of student loans are just criminal. Outrageous. They're, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, I know at, at one point I was looking at it and it was like $18 a day in interest, $18 a day. A day. 
a day in interest. And, wow. you know, uh, and, and so there's no way to get out from under that. And who's making this money? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the same people that are creating their factory workers and their people that won't be able to pay it back. I mean, it is so crazy. Well, and, and, so, and you can't ever get out from under it because right. it is not, you cannot bankrupt your way out of that. Right. And that right. I think now it, I'm not an advocate for bankruptcy, but my goodness, right. To law to right. strap these kids down to this kind of debt, in I mean permanently, is outrageous. Right. right, right. So you know you have these kids that go to school. These kids go to medical school or you know law school, and yeah, you're you're in these lucrative jobs. But these lucrative jobs are pretty much just paying your student loans. Yeah. and yeah. so you don't. I mean, you have to be out from under that before you can have this life. And the fact that you know, we don't let anybody else prey on our, on our kids. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, the, these, as soon as you get out of high school, man, okay, here's a credit card. Yep. Here's yep. some student loans Heck, in high school. Yeah. 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 So and here's, here's the other thing. No one really, I don't think, or at least not the average person really understands. Let's say you have a doctor who goes to school. They end up out of school. Uh, unless they're in a special program, they've got debt of $300,000 easy. Without without even trying, uh, some uh, upwards of five hundred, depending on where it's at. So they're looking at you know quarter to half a million dollars of student debt instantly. They got nothing for that. I mean their education, yeah. Um, it's not like they bought a house that's worth half a million dollars. Um, and so they come out and let's say they get a million dollar salary. Well, the tax structure in most of the country is going to take upwards of half of that away, if not more. And mm -hmm. so then, so effectively, they're working to pay their bill and they have to make a million dollars a year just to pay that stinking loan back because after taxes, they only have $400,000, you know, 67%, right. I think is the highest tax rate, um, effective the total when you look at uh, federal mm -hmm. and state, if you're in New York, California, there's a couple right. that are outrageous. Um, right. I, that's ludicrous to think about. What do they expect these kids to do with themselves when you come out and right. you're that deep underwater? Right. I agree. It's criminal. Yeah. Or it should be. Yeah. Right. Right. Whereas, you know, you, you become an electrical apprentice and you're making money right away. And, you know, you go, you go up into that and you become a journeyman electrician yeah. and you're making like 32 bucks an hour yeah. and not having these crazy loans to pay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, welders and mechanics. I mean, there are so many, there are so many things that kids could do out there that, mm -hmm. and, and read, read your education. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Well, Elon Musk says, he says, don't go to college. It's a waste of time uh, because <clears throat> everything you need to know is on YouTube. And I think there's yeah, some well, truth to that. There is some truth. Right. To that. Right. Right. There's a uh, uh, guy that I know who owns a uh, stainless steel fab company. And the last I talked to him, which it's been some time now, but um, he was having difficulty finding qualified students or, sorry, workers out of school, like coming out of, out of welding school because mm -hmm. they're not learning mm -hmm. the stuff. Another friend of mine's a machinist, and he told me, he said, the worst people that come into work for our machine shop are machinist graduates. Right. Because they have no idea how to actually work. They learned right. theory all day long. They got right. theory, but they right. don't know anything in practice. 
Right. And that's where, that's where internships should really oh, be a yes. bigger part of, of schools because you get the kids interest, you give them experience and, you know, all of a sudden that goes on their resume mm-hmm. because, you know, that's one of the biggest problems that kids have is I have no experience. No experience well, yeah. now you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you intern for 12 hours or, you know, eight weeks with this company and you decide, you know, is that something you want to do? And then the employer is like, okay, they're getting on the job training. I like the way they work. Boom. They've mm-hmm. got a job. Well, I mean, you, you look back over history, you know, way back, uh, you know, the, the master builders of some of mm-hmm. the best architecture we have. They had apprentices that lived with them and right. they, they, their job was to shadow this person 24 seven and learn right. the trade. And until right. they were good, if, if you ever watched, um, Euro dreams of sushi, it's a, a documentary mm-hmm. on, uh, I think it's still on Netflix. Um, if you like anything about sushi, even if you don't, it's filmed beautifully. It is phenomenal. Uh, and it, it's about a guy named Euro, J-A-R-J-I-R-O, I believe. Uh, and he owns um, one of the most prestigious sushi restaurants in the world. Okay. There are there are ten chairs in this restaurant. It's at least a six month wait to get on the list. You're gonna pay about three hundred bucks, um, for your meal when you go there. But it is elite. Every piece of fish that he cuts and it's perfect. It's sized for each person that eats it. He hand does it all, hands it to you when it's time to eat it. So it's this couple hour long process and you end up eating like 20 some pieces of meat, which would be awesome. Well, he's got apprentices working with him, learning how to make rice, learning how to make their egg product. And they talked about it at one point. And one of the kids is learning how to make this egg bake thing they do. And if it's not right, Euro throws it in the garbage and start over. It's wrong. Now, what they're going to do is these, these guys, and some of them are like 30 year old men. It's not like they're little children. Um, they keep getting their eggs thrown out because they're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, this dude has like, I don't know if it's a three Michelin star restaurant or something. I mean, it's worth going to that town in Japan just for his restaurant. But that apprentice model we've lost in America, and I kind of feel like it's because we have some sort of an entitlement that I right. should get everything. Right. Well, I was just having this conversation with, um, so when I was in San Diego, (laughs) um, I was on an improv team. So I performed (laughs) in a show in old town that was basically like, whose line is it anyway? So we would have, um, we, we, you know, and do it for points that didn't really exist and, um, lots of little games and stuff, but he is having a hard time. So, so, so the owner of that it, in COVID, it closed down the, it, it was um, called uh, old town improv company and that closed down. So he bought and had made a, a tiki boat that basically goes around the San Diego Harbor that is hosted by improvisers. And, um, they, you know, they go around and they do these hilarious tours of the San Diego Harbor and, you know, give you the history (laughs) and some of it's true, some of it probably not, but I mean, it's super fun. and, And it was just a great way to capitalize on the location and all that. But he was saying, you know, one of the, so somebody bought his um, old town improv company, not the building. He didn't own the building, but basically everything that went with that because mm-hmm. they taught classes and things. And, you know, one of the things that he was telling the new purchaser was that it's not this generation doesn't like to do things for free. 
Like they don't see value in things that, you know, like showing up and doing shows or um, they want to get paid for it. They don't want to put the and, time in. Right, right. And and so if I'm not going to get paid for it, I'm not going to do it, which I think is another part of the internship. Why in America internships yeah. aren't seen as valuable because I don't get paid because they don't look at the fact that their education, they're getting an education. And so I, I think, you know, some of that thinking has to change as well. But how, how much of that is from uh, the the system has told these kids for the last few decades at minimum um, that ed- college is where it's at. Once you get college, right. you're good. Right. Right. No, I, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, but people just don't value, they don't value the education, whether the education is coming from a college or coming from, they value the piece of paper Mm -hmm. that says they have an education. And so it's, it's not the learning process. I think that's appreciated today by a majority of people that are learning. Mm -hmm. Uh, A little while back, you had a, uh, your mother-in-law passed away. Um, Mm -hmm. A lady that I knew very dearly as a child and growing up. Uh, I had the opportunity to to see her though before she died in February, mm-hmm. and so that was so cool to have that m- little bit of time we had. Um, but one of the things you posted around that time stuck with me, and I wanted to talk to you about it. And we we briefly threw it, I threw it at you, kind of. Um, is this notion that it's important as an adult to talk to children? Break that down just a little bit, and actually care about value kids in the room. Um, I'm trying to remember what, well, no, <laughs> no, stuff. no. Cause what? well, you guys were, uh, at, I think you were up in Oregon at the thing and some people had come up to you and said they remembered you because oh, you yes, actually yes, yes. cared for them. Yes. And you talked to them, you told stories to yes. them and you played with them. Sorry. And then you kind of, <laughs> I thought you were sorry. talking about my mother-in-law oh, and no. I'm like, okay, today I, I wrote lots of stuff about her. Um, no, yeah, that, um, <sighs> Because it, um, it, it's like the, one of the things that I struggle with, with certain generations is children are to be seen and not heard. Right. And so um, one of my biggest frustrations in life as an adult with children um, is when we're in, in places where the other adults expect the children to not be there. Mm-hmm. And in, mm-hmm. even like family, family events. Oh, it's time. No, it's time for you kids to go away. Right. Right. What does that do um, to children? So, so the weekend that you're speaking of, um, I had, uh, my husband had a cousin who is actually my son's age or it's his cousin's daughter and she's my son's age. And, um, when she was a little girl, she was just always just so sad. Like everywhere that, that every time you saw her, she was just very sad, very sullen. And like, I just, I just reached out to her and, um, I guess I took her to VBS, which I didn't realize. (laughs) I don't remember. Um, and then my nephew also that weekend, um, talked about that. I, I used to have to go pick him up. Um, uh, there was a little custody situation. And so I would go pick him up and he talks about, you know, remembering driving by Mount Nebo Mm -hmm. and me teaching him songs. And, um, I do like kids. I, I, I love kids. Um, I, and I think because, um, I was, uh, 
when I was, when I was a kid, I tried to be a very good kid. There was just a lot going on. And so like, I would kind of try to disappear. Um, but then there were people that saw me and when I was seen, it was like, I loved those people and those mm. people stood out to me. So I think when I see a kid who appears to be disappearing, mm-hmm. um, I, I will go after them. And because I do remember those adults in my life. And, you know, obviously when I had those experiences with those kids that came to me as adults, that that wasn't my intention, but it's just kind of my natural, you know, find the person who is, who is fading into the background and, um, just make them feel seen. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the campaigns that most of the schools tend to employ? Uh, to try to stop bullying? Well, um, (laughs) again, I think that having teacher involvement, having, so, so, so the bully generally is behaving this way because they need some kind of outlet to be seen. Mm. I mean, they Mm -hmm. need something to feel significant. And so when you take the power of bullying away from them, Mm -hmm. when, when they're seen for other things, when you generally don't really have that problem, you know, we didn't have a lot of problem with that at our school. We, we, we had something, um, you know, we, we had a thing that we had employed, um, restorative practices, which, um, is basically if somebody feels like there's a problem, there are, there's a group and the whole class is brought into it and we have a discussion. Yeah. This is, this is how, this is how your behavior has affected me. Mm-hmm. And then, and giving the other person a chance to speak. Well, I did that because, so it's not, you know, pointing your finger and telling them, you know, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're good, you're good, you're good. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing besides, you know, the whole idea of bullying is when these victims continue to get attention for being victims, then that becomes a, a life path for them. Right. And they will always seek out the, they, they will always feel like a victim. Whereas when you give them the power to speak against how they're feeling, all of a sudden you've empowered them. And when, and so when those things are taken care of on a much low, on a much smaller level, then uh, we didn't even have, we had one vice principal on our campus. Our principal wasn't even on our campus. We didn't have a vice principal of discipline. We didn't have a, and if you got in trouble, we didn't have detention. So detention was not a a thing. Um, If you got in trouble to the point that it wasn't something a teacher felt like they could handle, you went and sat in the vice principal's office and you had an actual conversation. Mm -hmm. So you're not just shoved to the back of the room. Mm -hmm. You're not just, um, you know, Oh, you have to stay after school. Oh, you have to. And, um, so that was just the way that our school was, was deal with the behavior in front of you as a person, a respectful situation where it's, you know, it's not a punitive thing. It is let's deal with the behavior. What is the, what is the reason for the behavior? Mm -hmm. And, you know, and if it became so egregious, you know, which, you know, happened in a couple of instances, then you were just asked to leave. Is homework appropriate? (laughs) 
I think that, I think the idea is what, what is the purpose of homework? Mm. So when you're talking about a kindergartner who needs to practice their M's, you know, <laughs> they need the actual physical mm -hmm. practice of doing the thing. Um, I, I think, I think a, you know, motor skills are huge and, you know, a teacher can't sit one-on-one -on -one with a kindergartner and do the motor skills with them. I don't think more than a page, you know, is, is, is appropriate for, but if they are learning a skill, then I think it is appropriate. If it is something that is, that is reinforcing a skill. So, you, you know, you have, you have a page full of, of, uh, times tables that you, you know, you're trying to work on speed. Um, I think if your education is taking place outside of the classroom, then it's inappropriate. Mm. I think, I, I think you have plenty of time as a teacher to teach. Um, but if you are, if you are expecting kids to go home and write 13 page essays, I think that's unreasonable because, you know, and there's something called a flipped classroom. I don't know if you've heard of that model. Mm -mm. So in that, the idea is that the kids actually watch a video of the teaching at home and then do what most schools do as homework no, and, and in the classroom. With, with right. teacher uh, supervision and, supervision, and assistance. Yes. yes, yes. So that's, that's also a model. Mm -hmm. do, do you think the, the age segregation that we've done in schools by compartmentalizing everyone, oh, same age, you all do the same thing at the same time. Does that cause uh, a lack of ability to, to be flexible in learning? It, as, as opposed to like a, the old school one room schoolhouse model where you had right. all ages were in the same room and had to learn how to adapt and work right. together. Well, I, I, I mean, I think that would be a great learning model to have, you know, a group of kids, um, particularly, you know, that you could teach by their interests. I mean, you know, we, we could go all Montessori on this, <laughs> right. and, you know, uh, I, I mean, I mean, it's, it's so interesting as I watch my, my grandson, because he's five, he'll be six next month. And like his interests are so interesting. Mm. And if he had a teacher that could be teaching him according to his interest, um, you know, in, in, in like a homeschool, when I was, I was visiting them for two weeks, um, in, uh, about a month and a half ago. And he, I mentioned King Tut and we had to go on this <clears throat> deep dive of <laughs> really? ancient Egypt. I mean, we were watching videos of like the actual King Tut's corpse wow. and like this whole thing. And I mean, we, we, we were watching grown up YouTube videos, this, this five-year-old mm -hmm. because he's so fascinated by it. Then he was on a volcano kick. So he lived in Hawaii at the time. So he was so he like, lived on a volcano. That's fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so like, he wanted to know all about magma and he wanted to know now, you know, we're, we're talking fourth, fifth grade mm -hmm. things here. Um, and he now, He's not reading at this point. He knows his letters. He knows his sounds. But but if you could teach a kid, and especially you know, I call him my little my little nerdy grandson because, <laughs> and and I say that with the uh, most affection because he just wants to learn. He just wants. He is like this. He asks a million questions, and you know, if he sees anything, he's going to want to ask a million questions about it. Mm -hmm. No interest in sports, as you can imagine. His dad is so so saddened by, <laughs> but he just wants to <laughs> learn, and so it's 
if you could take kids with similar interests, mm-hmm. I mean, he could probably hold it together in a fifth grade classroom of kids learning about something, you know, science, he loves science and, you know, anything, you know, that you can teach him about science. He wants to, the, the anatomy, um, he just, you know, he, he wants to know how lungs work and he wants to know, well, how does your heart mm-hmm. pump the blood? And these are things that much older kids learn. And if he could be taught that now, right. you know, which is, I, I think that would be a great model but, for, but for the, and it would make kids yeah. love it. And the system is kind of set up in a way that says, nope, not yet. Right. And what does right. that do to that exploration? It kind of right. shuts it down. And then, oh, Absolutely. I guess I can't do that until I'm told to. Well, that, right. that creates a worker. Right. A nice, good little slave that right. will happily walk down the track as needed. Yep. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, you know, while we're on the subject of, of education and what's wrong with the system. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the whole, whole the podcast? That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things that struck out to me that was so interesting. So, you know, I had, I had students that came from literal poor background. I mean, I mean, the students who were very wealthy, but had to leave literally everything behind and then go and live in Turkey until their visa was approved or go and live in, you know, so they literally had nothing. They came to the United States with nothing but a green card Mm. and, um, were, you know, living in situations where they, they stayed with a sponsor or things like that. And then we had a lot of students who had, um, grown up in either, either in Mexico and come over or, um, had grown up in California, but never really learned to speak English very well Mm -hmm. before they came to our school. And the difference in gratitude and entitlement was so pronounced. Like, um, do you mean compared to the Americans? Yeah. Well, I'm talking about, um, because, because especially the first couple of years, I only had EL students and then, you know, um, but a student who had a student who had basically were the students who were coming and living on services, you know, they were on welfare Mm -hmm. or, um, which were more of our Hispanic students, um, Whereas our Chaldeans were not permitted to do that. They weren't allowed to do that. And so, you know, they, they had to have a sponsor, they had to have a way to work. And so the kids just ideas. So like, I I was telling Andrew about this one day, I had brought cookies to school and I had brought chocolate chip cookies and I was feeding my kids cookies because my love language is feeding people. And like these kids who came, who had come from um, from Iraq, like they were just so grateful to get a cookie. Mm -hmm. They were just like, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And my other kids would be like, you don't have peanut butter. Really? Well, Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then, but again, also American kids too, Mm -hmm. you know, American kids were the first ones to, well, can I have two cookies? So why can't I have two cookies? And I, I feel like that is a huge problem with, uh, you know, I'm, I sound so old when I say kids today, but I, I think that, I think that in even ad- the adult generations today is this lack of gratitude and like, 
seeing everything as something that I should have Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, I'm grateful for what I do have, but Mm -hmm. that should be mine. That Mm -hmm. should be mine. Or you're not, you're not giving me what I want right now. And I think that, um, that has just created such a, such an attitude of lack and, and victimhood that, you know, I don't have what other people have. And then, you know, you could also tie it into resilience and the lack of resilience that a lot of these kids have, um, that I think has built just kind of a bit of a weak generation. And I think that grit could really be taught and gratefulness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. How much of that is, is, um, cultural? Um, well, I, I, I would imagine, I would imagine that cultural, uh, that that is a part of it, but I also think someone truly having nothing and knowing what nothing looks like. Yeah. I think that that's, that, that's another part of it as well. And, well, I mean, that was one of the things that I visually noticed like blatantly, I guess, when I lived in Africa for a while, I lived in Uganda for about five months. Um, right. And it really was that, you know, yes, there are poor in America all day long. Mm-hmm. It's this, it's not the same. Right. Right. And it blew me away at the level of joy mm-hmm. that I saw in the Ugandan people when I was there. Right. Even those that had nothing, absolutely right. nothing. They right. still had phenomenal spirits and attitudes and didn't i i I never saw at least and i'm who knows maybe it's there and i just know it but never saw um an entitlement mentality for a second and and i do know that some of the biggest frustrations that we had because we did uh, i worked for a a missionary over there that hosted american teams for short short time and Mm -hmm. though that was the biggest problem is when we got these Mm -hmm. americans who well, we'll call them entitled Americans um, who came over and carried themselves as though they were better than. Mm, and, and at mm-hmm. one point there were, we actually uh, had to sit one team down and say, all right, this is something you can't do. Right. You, you need to do the cultural things just because right, you right. have lots of money. Doesn't mean you throw it about like that. That's not how it works. Right. That's insulting. Right. Right. And so, right. you know, there's some cultural things there without doubt, but I wonder in America, are we, <clears throat> does the young generation, is it fueled by social media? Is it fueled by the media? Uh, is it fueled by politicians? What fuels this thing, this idea that, uh, oh, I, I'm owed that, that thing you have, that's actually supposed to be mine. So I need to take it from you to get it because we can't both have it. I need it because it's mine, not yours. Right. Well, I, I remember reading something a long time ago that talked about the difference between self-esteem and self-respect and self-esteem is how you feel about yourself. Mm -hmm. Self-respect is what you know about yourself and that basically, you know, the end of my generation, um, And then, and then certainly the generation after me, you know, it was tell kids how wonderful they are. Tell them they're wonderful. Tell them they're wonderful. Tell them they're wonderful. No matter what. And when they, right, right. And when they mess up, you know, tell them it's going to be okay. Mm. And 
help them fix it. And, and so what happens is, is that you have these kids that live in these, you know, little sheltered worlds where they're told how awesome and how wonderful they are. And then they get into the big, bad world where when they get out there, they mess up and there's nobody to tell them it's okay. Your boss is not going to tell you it's okay that you just lost Mm -hmm. $30,000. You're, you know, (laughs) and, and so instead of, you know, telling your kids how wonderful they are, allow them to have these situations where they do mess up and let them have to fix it. And I think as a, it, so Andrew and I have, my husband and I have very different backgrounds. Um, I was, I, I, I had a broken home and, um, I was, I was an only child between my two parents, but then my mom remarried and, and, um, there was, a there was some hardship in, in, in my past. And, uh, whereas my husband was raised in a pretty stable home, very, you know, mother, father, very strong marriage, um, very, they, they always had everything they needed. They weren't, they weren't wealthy or anything, but they always had everything that they needed. And, um, I think we're raised to believe they were the smartest people, And, and, and that's, I mean, that's the way that they were raised. And so, you know, Andrew and I get married and, and I would say that on the surface, I look like the much weaker person, (laughs) you know, I am, I am the, um, uh, I'm the pushover, you know, whereas he stands very firm and, you know, of course, as happens in marriages, you know, you, you hit these, these spots where you don't have any money or you, you know, you have loss of a job or, you know, these, these hard things. And these hard things were very, very hard for him to come back from. Mm. And me, I was like, you know, the rubber ball that was like, okay, what are we going to do next? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Okay. You lost your job. Mm -hmm. Okay. What's next. And it wasn't until I was older that I realized that I had been able to practice that as a kid, you know, Mm. I got let down or things did not go my way more often than not. And so that, but unfortunately, (laughs) before I realized that, I raised my own children with the way that I protected them from every bad thing. So they never had to face bad things. And then they grow up and they have a really hard time with resilience and bouncing back and grit and sticking to it. Mm -hmm. And they're having to learn these lessons as adults, Mm -hmm. you know, so I just sent them both to military basic training so they could do it. (laughs) But, um, but I didn't realize that, you know, what I considered from my past to be um, detrimental was actually very, very valuable mm-hmm. as a human being. And um, that that you don't, you know, when things fall apart, they don't stay falling apart. And, you know, the biggest thing that you can do is just start start moving forward and start doing something instead of just feeling like it's all over because you don't have a parent there to come and save you, or you don't have, you know, somebody to tell you that you're still, you know, the, the smartest person in the room. Mm-hmm. So is this the, everyone gets a trophy problem? Yes. Yes. And that is, so going back to my favorite school, <laughs> that was her. Um, uh, so 
they did not have a kindergarten graduation or an eighth grade graduation. You know, they, they, because you don't earn it until you graduate from high school and no, there was nothing that everybody got a trophy for. There were purposeful competitive events Mm -hmm. that in every grade level, every year we had what were called the Olympics and these, these classes would compete against each other. And no, there, there was not an everybody feels good. There was, there was a winner of, of spirit. There was a winner, uh, you know, the kids who dressed, you know, all dressed up, there was a winner in the, in the competition portion, but there are winners and there are losers. And if you lose, you should feel bad about it and you should try better, try harder next time. And, but that's mean. I know, right. Isn't it? (laughs) Aren't we told that that's a mean thing to say? Why do you want to get any better if you got a trophy for losing, you know? (laughs) <laughs> well, <laughs> there's that. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, the MMA doesn't uh, everyone get a trophy, that's for sure. That's true. Uh, Jordan Peterson says that you should discipline your children because if you don't, somebody else will, and they may not have the proper motive. Yes. And I heard him say that and it, it solidified in me my what I what I think I believe about, you know, that little sliver of parenting is that it mm-hmm. is very important that, that as the parents, we kind of set these boundaries and hold our kids accountable yes. um, because yes. I don't know what's going to happen when they're 20 or 30. Like you said, you know, your boss is not going to be OK with you. You know, you just you broke their million dollar machine, you know, right. bummer. No, not bummer. Yeah. And so you have to learn how to deal with that. and. Uh, communication is important. Mm-hmm. Understanding, you know, that's one thing John Maxwell says, you know, what, is he the seek first to be understood? Or is that the other yes. guy? Yes. Um, uh, I, I think that's that uh, Covey? Covey. Covey. Yeah. That's Covey. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's all, it's all tied together. Right. But this idea right. that, um, you know, communication is key um, for mm-hmm. understanding. I mean, in marriage, my goodness, yes. that's kind of imperative. <laughs> If you don't have that, right. you don't have that, you're, you're host. Um, right. What's the, I a big, I don't know if there's an answer to this. Maybe there is. What's the fix in 2021, it's almost over, um, for this problem? This idea that everyone should be successful at whatever they want to do. Or, or you're not we, making or, that statement like it's real. <laughs> well, of course it's not real. You mean real. the expectation? No. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. But, I mean, but that, that's kind of the assumption is that, oh, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. That's a lie. I can't be. I will never be able to right. dunk a basketball. So I can't be whatever right. I want to be. It's just not possible. Right. So right. do we just need to stop lying to each other? Um, I, I think... So, so my, my big pet peeve, which I think is connected to yours is, you know, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your well, life. That's a lie. <laughs> that's a lie. That's I like what I do, but because... I work every day. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so, so giving people this impression that, you know, somehow if you score your perfect job mm-hmm. that, you know, it's going to be easy peasy. Gold. I think, I think that's, that's where we lose a lot of our kids is, you know, once things get hard, then I'm going to move on to something else, to the next easy thing, to the next easy thing. Um, and so the, the lack of consistency. So I think, um, yeah, I think being honest with kids, I think 
and, and, and I was, um, with one of the things that I had my students do a lot was they wrote in journals every day. Um, as soon as they got in class for all of my classes, they had first thing, of, first thing of the day, you write down, start your journal. Yes. Really? So, so, so they came in, they had a question on the board and they had to answer that question and it had to be 75 words. They had five minutes to do it. And it was a question that, um, that, basically kind of, I tried to do it so that it kind of led into what we were going to do for the day. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it could be just, I mean, it could be what's your favorite smell and why, but, um, you know, uh, I often ask them, you know, what do you, what would you like to do? And then I would write them notes back in their journal. And so, you know, if they're saying, you know, I want to be a lawyer, well, well, I've seen your grades and <laughs> right. law school is really hard. <laughs> right. So yeah. what, what actions are you mm -hmm. going to take today to start getting good grades? Because you're not going to, you're not going to be able to get into a law school if your college grades look like these. And I think that that's, I think that's the place to start is being honest with kids, honest about what they're capable of doing, honest about what they're not capable of doing, and then helping them to form the steps to get closer to what it is they want to do. And if, if those steps aren't there, you know, if they, if there's something missing that, you know, you, you can't dunk a basketball, mm -hmm. well then, you know, I guess, do you want to look into coaching because, you know, why do you love sports? You know, what's, or, or maybe basketball is just a hobby that you play on weekends and, you know, what else is a realistic goal for you and for your skill set, And what, what are you interested in? It seems that society would say that, you know, back to the dunking analogy, <clears throat> this, this idea that everyone wins, society mm -hmm. would say, oh, you can't reach the hoop? Here you go. Uh, I'm going to hold we'll the tall, I'm, no, I'm going to hold the guy down who can reach it because it's mm -hmm. not fair that he can and you can't. Right. And then we'll lower it down for you or give yeah. you a stool to step on or something. Right. But we're going to keep, right. because when he does it, it makes you feel bad. Right. Even though he's very naturally talented, he's nine feet tall. He can just touch it. It's fine. No big deal. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, we've almost solved most of the world's problems. Yes. Um, yes. What? Well, you know, we've invited Jordan Peterson into the conversation, so well, we're, shoot, what else you is know, there? he's already done it. He's already done it. We're just, we're, we're just low lives in comparison. Absolutely. Um, one of the, when I first learned of him, a couple of years ago, uh, I listened to everything I could that he mm -hmm. did. And it was, I mean, we, we don't agree on some fundamental things just because, you know, belief systems, whatever. However, the more I listened to him and the more he actually ex like verbally like excavated the world around right. him, um, it was phenomenal because I think we're really close, really close Mm -hmm. And he's, you know, he, he just is so deep, but I love listening to people that can think that massively. It yeah. fascinates me. And so that's one of the reasons I want to do this show and have people on that do things that fascinate me because I want, <laughs> I want to engage in conversation with people that can think mm -hmm. and that have uh, some ability to, uh, or, or that are doing things that, that, that are not typical. You know, there's not just right. everyday mundane, uh, go to work, go home kind of scenario. Right. And right. So this has been a blast and I'm, I'm not done technically. Um, you grew up in, in California. I did. Yeah. If, I grew up in San Diego. If I remember right, 
you came to the table. Now, the table, like you, you married my best friend as a kid, his brother, who has been on the show way back early on this year. Yes. Um, if, if I recall right, did you bring some food recipes, some Mexican food to the table? Is that right? Or am I not remembering I, properly? I very well could have. I mean, I mean, I, I've always loved to cook and um, I've always loved to, like, as I said earlier, food is my love mm-hmm. language. If I like you, I'll feed you. And so what needs if to I happen? If I love you, I'll feed you a lot. <clears throat> right. So we, we just have to figure out when we're going to be there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I have a guest room in my house. Excellent. You are welcome. <laughs> Sarah and I will gladly be there. <laughs> uh, so food, what, what is your favorite meal to cook? Or or consume maybe are those are the mm. here you go are those the same? So, um, you know, Andrew and I went through some pretty lean years, Mac and, um, and by that I mean I mean four, <laughs> and so my biggest pet peeve was having to go out to a restaurant to get something I liked. Oh. So like. I could not, we could not make a great steak. And so we would have to go out to eat and like, it just killed us, you know, to have to go to Outback and pay all that money for, you know, $14.99 for a steak. And let me just tell you, that's not the steak. Oh yeah. No, no, no. (laughs) I live in Dallas. It's a whole different world. We actually have grown up money now, Mm -hmm. but like that, that just bothered me. So I would, I would spend hours and this is in the early days of YouTube, but like finding Alton Mm -hmm. Brown and, you know, different people. And so, I mean, I love, I love a great steak that is cooked medium rare to perfection. Um, you know, that that's, that's a favorite thing, but Andrew has taken that role on. So pretty much anything to do with the grill or the smoker, he rocks. Okay. Well, well, before you go further, this is something I'd like, I, I have wanted to talk about with someone. Uh, yes. My wife and I talk about it, and so we, we have our thoughts. But why is it that, I mean, who said that men are the only ones that can grill? You know, I I, um, I, I grill I grill chicken all the time. Um, but yeah, but not, not, I think not the it, real meat. I mean, it's kind of what that sounds meat. like. Yeah. I do the, I do the little chicken. It's fine. He does the real. No. <laughs> uh, well, I. Uh, for me, I, I love that. I love when I'm just on side dish duty. Oh, totally. Um, no, I'm, I'm not saying it's bad, but why in America? Yeah. Maybe it's around the world. I don't know. It's the men who do all the real cooking on well, the fire. Right, what are we, we have to trust. We have to. <laughs> we have to trust somebody with the real fire, not just the electric stove. <laughs> oh, brother. I don't know. I mean, I, I grill too, so it's not like I don't do yeah. it. But. but like, if I'm going to go out somewhere, um, I love, love, love Thai food. Oh, yes. Um, and I mean, give me just like a spicy yellow curry or pad thai um, that, that I always get like at one of the highest levels of spicy because I'm crazy yep. like that. Oh, yeah. Yep. But and they but, look at you weird. Um, Are you sure you know what you're doing? Yes, yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Let's <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, uh, Andrew's not a huge fan of Thai food, so oh, that's boo. like my my friend who just went into the Air Force, Carrie. Um, that used to be like our special thing was, oh, we're gonna go get Thai food. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's probably my favorite like restaurant to go out to. I have mm-hmm. done curry. I have done. Um, like a really good butter chicken at home, but it's a lot of work. And um, 
there, there's just not enough people to appreciate all that work. Well, and I get that if your uh, <clears throat> your husband doesn't like it, then why right. bother? I, I get that because we right. do. I, I have a a panang curry that I make, and it is phenomenal. Mm, um, but yeah. it, it is it's an it's an afternoon. Yeah. But we yes. all like it. My kids like it too yes. now, so it's great. So it's worth it. Yes. Yeah. Now, one of my pet peeves, or well, no, not pet peeve. One of the things that I don't like is I struggle going to a restaurant to order something I can make better. Mm, oh, right, right. And so I like I will never ever buy oatmeal in a restaurant ever. Right. And right. it's so funny because yeah. I, I know a lot of people in my family that do. Oh, I'm going right. to get some oatmeal. Why? I mean, if you're going right. there, get something you can't get at home. Yeah, the, every time we go to an Italian restaurant, an Italian restaurant, <laughs> Andrew orders spaghetti. Oh, I'm what? Like, Seriously, <laughs> spaghetti? Come on, man. Something but, you um, can't make at home. Right. So, or something that just like I will never go to a Mexican restaurant and order enchiladas ever. I mean, those are just so easy. And but you give you know if if I see a chili relleno on the on the mm. menu, I'm going to order that because mm. though I can make them at home, they're a ton of work. Are you and a tamale fan as well? Uh, I well, I'm kind of picky about the tamales. I like. I really like the uh, the cheese and jalapeno, which are not real common, mm-hmm. um, but those are my favorite. So have you been to, have you been to Lupe Tortilla yet? I have not. Mm. Is that here? There's a few of them around Texas. And I think there's one in Dallas or Fort Worth. One of the two. Lupe Tortilla. Anyway, uh, the owners of that, the founders of it uh, were on a racing show I I produce. And oh, gotcha. um, Anyway, it sounds phenomenal. And if I remember right, their tamales are supposed to be good. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and of course, you know, if you're, if you're from California and you come to Texas and the food is very different, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Tex-Mex is not Baja California food. So um, if you order a burrito in Texas, you're going to get a very different burrito than what you order in San Diego. And um, in San Diego, the, 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 influence is all from the Baja Peninsula. Mm-hmm. So that comes straight down. So there's like a lot of shrimp. Um, a carne salad burrito is just meat, pico de gallo, guacamole, and yeah, that's it. So Re- I mean, really? it's, just, it's a, it's a meat. There's no burrito. filler. There's no beans and no rice. Mm. And in Texas, they use a lot of beans, a lot mm. of rice, and a lot of corn. Cause they so, don't want to give you much meat. I guess. But the thing that is so popular in Texas that we really don't have except for like specialty restaurants in San Diego is queso. Mm. Like, I mean, the queso in Texas bomb. And so, you know, on a couple of different Facebook pages, I've seen that argument, you know, oh, Texas doesn't know Mexican. No, they do. They just know the Mexican food from the region that they're above, Mm. not the region that you're used to. And we don't really have queso in California. So so Texas does have its good points too. So it's so just melted cheese sauce, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, right, right. Hot but cheese? like I said, a carne asada burrito that you order yeah. in San Diego, it's not going to have cheese on it. It's just meat. But no, uh, and, is it the same piece of meat though? So carne asada is like a, a really flank steak, thin, isn't it? Like yeah, like yeah. a flank or flat mm-hmm. steak, just really thin that's marinated um, in and then like a t- citrus type, and typically mm-hmm. cooked on a flat top. Uh, yes, like seared yes. on a flat top and then lime yes. on it. 
which is right. my, my experience and, with carne asada and I love it when it's done like that. Yes. 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 But here they call it fajitas. They call it, I mean, oh, it's I the mean, same thing. Really? Call it, well, no, it's, it's thicker They're just lazy. slices. They're so just lazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a tortilla with meat, cheese, and vegetable. What are you going to call it? A burrito. It's yeah. A tortilla with meat, <laughs> cheese, and vegetable. What are you going to call it? A quesadilla. A Jim Gaffigan a sketch is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, um, you know, we, we've kind of gone away from the parenting thing, but I do want to uh, circle back. Yeah. Oh, no, don't use that word. I hate that phrase. I hate that phrase. Uh, you know, you're so I, I, I'm sure I, I know we've talked about this before, but, you know, my kids were less than 10 and six because 10 and six is when we actually left uh, Roseburg. Okay. So they were younger than that when I went to you and your sister and you guys were teenagers at the time, or maybe even a little bit older. Um, and I remember going to you guys and saying, I love how you two turned out. Tell me what your parents did right. Oh crap, and what did we say? <laughs> <laughs> they, they beat you every day. Yes. No. <laughs> Kennels in no. the basement. No. <laughs> um, so the way that I remember it, mm -hmm was that you guys were always considered you get you guys you both said you always felt like you were a part of the family mm -hmm. it wasn't like parents and kids like you guys were always welcome you were always seen as whole people not just kids yeah. and that that you felt like your opinions mattered you felt like your and and you felt ultimately seen and heard. And so then the young mom that I was, then I tried over to your parents and I'm like, okay, so I've talked to the kids. I want to know what this is. <laughs> and now what is your advice? I, I'm looking at mm -hmm. the kids that you've raised. I want my kids to grow up like yours who, and, and, you know, I had my reasons for why I, I just admired you and your sister so much, but the advice you're creepy, that you're, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guys were so like knowing what you guys have gone through church situation, mm -hmm. you know, all of that, knowing other fallout that happened around you, like you guys didn't get mixed up in the nonsense, mm. you know, it, it was like your mental health stayed intact when things around you kind of fell apart. Mm -hmm. And yet I knew so many others who did not did not do so well with all of that. And, Almost and you guys were individual. Yeah. Yeah. It, like it's crazy. Like looking back yeah. over the, the group that was there, most of them right. Right. Um, ran some other way. Right. And, and, and by right. no means is it because we're awesome. I, I, I like to this day, we have these conversations. What was yeah. it? So, right. so what did my parents say? I'm really intrigued now. <laughs> so your dad, your dad said the greatest parenting advice he could ever give. And I have repeated this so many Ooh. times and I have tried to live by it. <laughs> say yes, as often as possible. Hmm. And when you say no, mean it. Hmm. And that just, uh, and, and Andrew and I have said that to each other so many times when, you know, I'm overprotective because I will say I, I was, 
I was the helicopteriest of all <laughs> helicopter moms in the world. I literally attended mm. every single high school dance my kids ever went to, including all of their proms. Was that out of so, fear? What's that? Was that out of um, fear? Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, yes, but also nosiness and um just being in the middle of all of it like i was i was i was a busybody when it came to their lives i wanted to know everything that went you know that 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 went on and i mean if i could go back and talk to you know Allie 10 years ago 20 years ago i would give her completely different advice and i don't i don't regret how i raised my kids because i really like the people that they are today so something must have gone right along the way. <laughs> and for the most part, I mean, Cody ran his mouth. He's my 28 year old who's in the air force. Um, in eighth grade, if I could have given him away, if, if it was legal to leave an eighth grader on a um, <laughs> fire station, right, yeah. I, I would have because he just ran his mouth constantly, but like, I mean, I've met truly, his dad. So yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So imagine that in, 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 a 14 year old. Um, but he, uh, they gave us no problems really as kids, other than talking, Cody talked back to mm -hmm. his teachers. Um, and it really wasn't, you know, they had, they had a couple of years after they graduated that, you know, they kind of had to do young, dumb stuff, but nothing, nothing life altering, nothing that, that ruined their lives, mm -hmm. nothing that, um, so, but I was the helicopteriest of helicopter parents <laughs> and Andrew would remind me of your dad's advice a lot, you know, no, he can't. I mean, when, um, when Cody turned 13, we had, uh, a man ceremony for him. We had read a book that said that, you know, America is one of the only cultures that does not have a coming of age Doesn't ceremony. Initiate. Yeah. Right. Right. Men. Yeah. And so, um, so when he turned 13, um, they had a man ceremony. And so there were, um, we were in Virginia, Andrew was in law school and Andrew's brother flew out there. And then he had, uh, Andrew had three other friends who were law school friends that basically all came together for two days and they all spoke into Cody's life. Hmm. So like one of them talked about finances and one of them talked about sexuality. And one of them talked about, um, I don't even know. Cause I was a girl and wasn't allowed. Um, <laughs> but we actually had a sword. So, um, we had a, like a full size sword that we had our, the DeGraff and Reed family motto put on there, which is fac recte, neminem time, do right and fear no man. And so he was knighted by these men. And then it was the following, just a couple of months later that he asked to go on his first missions trip. So he wanted to go to Costa Rica. And I'm like, no, I mean, he, he's 13 <laughs> years old. He's not going. And he's like, but mom, I'm a man now. <laughs> and, and Andrew brought up that yes, as often as possible and no. And he, so he's been to Costa Rica, Romania and South Africa. And, um, he did, he did all three of those. And that was, and he really thought that he was actually going to be a, he actually went to school to start being a missionary and then met his wife and, you know, everything changed, but <laughs> that'll happen. <laughs> hmm. so 
Well, that's wild. Um, yeah. Maybe that's why, you know, thinking back of what, <laughs> what we apparently told you, <laughs> uh, maybe <laughs> that's why it bugs me so much when I see adults that try to put the children aside. Right. It drives me mad because, I, I, like, one of my, I, I had a, a, a dear lady <clears throat> that I have gotten to know out here, uh, and I really like her. Uh, the other day, because all of our kids are homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And the other day, uh, my wife had our oldest at the orthodontist and had come back and walked in the studio and then out for something. And as they left, this lady who was here meeting with me, uh, she looked at me and she's like, when are you going to let him go to school? And it took me back a little bit. I was like, I, I told her, I said, I don't even know really how to answer that. And then I just started vomiting the reasons that are, you know, and one of the, the big things that I um, want in my children is their ability to interact across generations Mm -hmm. and to not be stuck to where I only know how to interact with my 15 year old community. Right. Well, that's not healthy because that's not life. Right. No, it's one thing maybe, and maybe that's a lot of my, uh, indigestion, to use a term my dad would say, um, about the the Western education model, is it does right. take ages and says, nope, you only get to be here. You only get to be here. Yeah. I was in a, a school in Minnesota, a public school, about an hour away from us, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I My job is a photographer, so I was in shooting school pictures with uh, another uh, photographer in Minnesota. And we were in one of these small elementary schools and one of the teachers came in and said she was part of, I think she called it, I don't know if it was a flex class, but it was something. And we're both were like, what is that? When you say what, what does that mean? Because she was bringing Mm -hmm. in different aged kids. And it's Mm -hmm. actually a class they have that has, uh, I think it's first, second and third graders all together. And to me, that is phenomenal because what a great opportunity for these kids to, right. I know it's it's a small gap or window, but it's a window. Right. It's not right. first graders only, second graders right. only. It's let's bring all together. And she said, oh, we love right. it. In, in our, you know, we've got a couple of them in their school and they love it because they yeah. have some flexibility. There's diversity in the, right. in, with the learning skills and all that. And it makes me right. wonder if that would be a simple mm-hmm. tweak to our system right. that right. might bear some good fruit. Right. Well, I, I, I think in theory, that's great. I think, um, schools that are small enough to be able to, to do that well, um, it's great. I think the going back to regular schools and having certain outcomes yep. that are required, that's what would throw a wrench. Absolutely. In that yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, it's you talking about homeschooling. So in, in the last the last position that I had was working, you know, with homeschool families. And, um, I had, uh, I had 40 kids and this one mom, you know, she was, she was not on board with masks or anything. And so I would go to her house for our meetings. Mm-hmm. I didn't have her come on campus because the requirement was you had to wear a mask on gotcha. campus. Cause that was the law. And so, or the, the mandate. The mandate. <laughs> and right. so, so, um, and our, our principal didn't want our school to get shut down for, but anyways, yep. so, um, she, she called me at the beginning of this school year and she's like, uh, 
I need you to come back. And I said, <laughs> well, it's kind of late for that now. And she's like, no, no, no. Our new, our new teacher consultant is just, she doesn't understand how you guys are supposed to be. And I said, what do you oh, mean? Wow. And so so, you know, I, when I would show up at her house, both of her kids, so she had a second grader and, and a K4, I mean, they were on me in a heartbeat, like, Oh, Miss Allie, Miss Allie, they would generally one or the other of them would sit on my lap while I had the meeting with mom. Mm -hmm. We talk about things. I'm talking to the kids. And this mom was telling me that at the first meeting, um, her son ran up and she wouldn't go to their house. The teacher consultant wouldn't go to their house. And that's your prerogative. You can do what you want, but they met at a neutral spot and the kid came up and the teacher put her hand up in the child's face and said, this is not your time. I'm talking to your mommy right now. Nope. <laughs> and, oh, right. And, and she's like, they just don't under, she just doesn't understand. And so, so this started a conversation. So I called my former supervisor and I'm like, Hey, <laughs> I wow. think you should probably have a comp. Well, then it turned out that several parents had kind of complained about this, this one mm -hmm. teacher consultant, but nobody had complained to the right person. Oh. And so, um, so I, she said, well, you know, we want to talk to her, but how would you, how would you go about explaining how you did things? And I said, I think <laughs> this role is a lot more grandma and a lot less teacher. Like you yeah. are a mentor to the mom. You are the, you are the, the, the sage that has information mm -hmm. that the mom would like mm -hmm. and who cares as much, probably not as much, but who cares enough about their kids well-being that you want to give them information to help them in the same way that a grandparent would do yeah. that. And treating the kids, the reason these people are homeschooling is because they don't want their kids in this teacher environment. Yeah, right. So don't and, bring that to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, I can, I can definitely see where, uh, yeah kids getting treated like that would be for, especially for a homeschool parent, it would be like, yeah, yeah no, I, I can't imagine that would be well. Right. And all of a sudden, magically at 18, everything that you have to say is now powerful. And even though you've been told, you know, to sit back and shut up. Right. right. And, mm -hmm. and then, so. yeah, now go, you're good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, is kids have to have, they have to know who they are, what they're going to be a hundred percent. Uh, by the time they are uh, ready to go choose <laughs> school and they can't change that ever. Right. Right. It just, yeah. I, 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 I was going to be, a, I was going to be a Marine biologist in seventh grade. Uh, in 11th grade, I was going to be a pastor's wife. I decided. Well, you, you could know, have I, done that one. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to pick the right person. Come on. That one's easy. Yeah. <laughs> He, you know, we even tried for him for a That's minute. That's true, but... you did. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then it turned um, out that wasn't it. Yeah, right, right, right. And uh, certainly never, never that I plan on being a teacher or, you know, a radio broadcaster or a government contractor. Yeah, uh, but I, I, anything less would have been inadequate. Right, right, right. So. And, and, you know, now I'm trying to figure out what the next step looks like. And, you know, I am here 47 years old and don't even know. So how do I expect a 14 year old to know yeah. what they want to be when, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, because, you know, it's so hard because you don't, 
you don't even know what the world is going to look like when it's time. So to say you want to do or be this thing, I mean, I would love to be a writer. You know, I, I, I'm in a writing club and I've done national novel writing month, two different times. I've written two different books and haven't done anything with them, <laughs> but I mean, well, come I, on now. Writing. <laughs> I don't edit them. I just write them and put them in the closet. <laughs> um, I do have a small but, publishing arm of my company, by the way. Oh, okay. <laughs> For real. <laughs> um, so yeah, I um I I don't know, but I do know that uh I do know that there is something kind of magical, I think, that happens at 40. And I, I don't know, I don't think it's necessarily that number. I think it kind of happens around there somewhere where you realize what matters and what doesn't, mm-hmm. and you realize um to you what's important and what's not. And so much of the stuff that mattered 20 years ago yeah. really is pointless. And the things that you completely overlooked in your early twenties um, and thirties, even it, you, you realize how important they are hmm. and, and how much more important they become to you. And ultimately it's like people's opinions just really don't matter anymore. <laughs> um, there are certain people who I care very much about their opinions, but it's certainly not the world. And my, my own view of myself is not found in other people's opinions of me. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I think I'm at this point now where it's like, what do I want to do next? I'm not quite sure. I would like it to make money. Um, there are things that I'm pretty good at and, there are things that I would like to try, but uh, yeah, I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> well, you have experience in the broadcast world, so the po- yeah, yeah, po- podcasting is free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I mean, how many people are going to want to listen to me talk? It's just not. Well, we'll find out soon. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it depends on the. I had a meeting this uh, earlier today with a lady who's looking at building a podcast for the nonprofit she works for. And so we were talking about that. And it, the whole thing is you create a quality sounding product about quality content that you care about. Mm-hmm. And then if people want to find it and, you know, you get it out there, that's what it is. Uh, you know who Gary, right. Gary Vaynerchuk is? You ever heard of him? I, I haven't. He's a motivational dude <clears throat> online. Oh, yeah, Gary V. Gary V, yeah. Gary V, yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, yes. Um. Someone asked him uh, once about um, basically, you know, what what would you recommend? And he's like, you know, getting in the podcast space. And he's like, it doesn't matter. What do you want to do? If there's something out there that you want that's not there, start making it. Because you're probably not the only one that wants it. Right. So make it and then go. I I produce a racing podcast. I don't host it. I just produce it and intro and I exit it for them. Uh, it's hosted by a yeah. dude in New Jersey and one here in town. And um, it's because no one else is doing it in that niche market of drag right. racing that they're in. Right. And so they started it. And now it's, I mean, it's getting much bigger than it I ever thought it would. Um, yeah, because yeah. no one else was doing it. Right. And they looked. They're like, there's nothing out here for what we want. So let's make it. Yeah. Perfect. Let's do it. Right. So come on now. Right. Is there anything out there for what you want? Do it. It's simple. Come on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Easy. Easy. It's so, so simple. Yes. Well, Allie, uh, do you care 
or want people to follow you along the social medias if they so choose? And if so, how would they do that? Um, <laughs> no is the answer. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just trying to think. I think everything's on private because I had high school students that ah. I didn't want, you know, taking my picture and turning them into memes. So <laughs> smart. <laughs> I mean, it's my name is Allie DeGraff and Reed. I am mm. not hard to find. Gotcha. <laughs> and if you're interested in following me, you can absolutely you can try reach out. <laughs> Allie with an I like, uh, like, uh, karate kid. So, mm, gotcha. Well, yeah. thank you very much for taking time this evening. Um, I know you've been traveling the last few days and you shipped your baby off and I guess this was something for you to focus on. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. It uh, was, it was fun. I love podcasts. Awesome. And so this was right up my alley. I got to talk on a podcast. I feel so special. <laughs> <laughs> Thank Fantastic. you, Craig. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. Someday we'll actually come down and see you because okay. um, we I... threatened to when you lived on the West or East Coast and that never panned out. So, yep. which was 100 years well, ago. Come on to Dallas. I will feed you. You'll have a place to stay. We're there. Absolutely. Check. Okay. Awesome. All Thank right. you very much. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks again, Allie, for taking the time to sit down with us on the interview. Thank you all for listening in on this conversation. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got a little something out of it. If you did, tell your friends. Uh, and if it was worth it to you, decide what that was and uh, go to whymillblink.com, click on the podcast button, find the donate button, and you can help support the show so we can have more of these conversations as we go forward. So thanks a lot. Hope everyone has a great day. Stay safe. Uh, continue learning. And we will see you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.